following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. As the fourth and fifth graders are taking off, if you would, open up your Bible or electronic device. Uh, we are in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. started this a couple of weeks ago, Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse uh, 41 and go through 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. It is a good season at Community Gospel. September starts kind of like our year, if you will. Club E is starting. Uh, Velocity is starting. Small groups are starting. Things are happening and transpiring. We're just excited that you guys have a part in this. Um, We are going through Acts in a little bit different way than um, we have been uh, going through other passages. Uh, Most of the time we go through passages verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Um, And and here, kind of, we're looking at Acts um, chapter by chapter instead of uh, verse by verse. So there's some areas in which we have to pick up. Two weeks ago, we started Acts, and we talked about Acts as the um, culmination, essentially, of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke is uh, the story of Jesus, um, his life, his death, and then his resurrection. And then you get to Acts, and it's the same author, okay? So you have um, a lot of commentaries, if you will, will have like Luke, and then they'll go into Acts. So they're, they're one, all right? And then we talked uh, on Acts chapter 1 about the ascension of Jesus. So the risen Christ ascends. He goes up in a cloud, and it says in the text that he will come back the same way in which he left. And so then we go to Acts chapter 2, and we're in verse 41, and we're wondering what happened between um, the time that Jesus uh, went up uh, to now um, in, in the text that we're going to get to. So let me just give you a, a brief summary. After Jesus goes up, we have the 11, okay? Uh, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. I did not know that by memory. I cheated, and I read it out loud, okay? Um, but uh, not Judas Iscariot, he would be dead, okay? So they go, and they're going to head to Jerusalem, and as they go to Jerusalem, they're going to meet up with a woman named Mary. You know her because she is Jesus's mother, and then um, they're also going to meet up with Jesus's half-brothers. Somebody asked me the other day, I think it was a little kid, asked me a question. He said, Pastor Jordan, does Jesus have any brothers and sisters? And I said, let's emphasize the word half, okay? Because if he had full brothers and sisters, we got gods and not uh, God, and that'd be uh, dangerous. So um, he meets up with his half-brothers, and there's some other people. Peter is going to give an awesome summary about Jesus' betrayal, and he is going to emphasize the need that, P, uh, that Judas needs replaced. They need another 12th man, not the Seahawks, like where it's the 12th man is the crowd. Speaking of which, by the way, sideline, somebody said, Jordan, I'm really glad you're wearing your Notre Dame green today. There was a football game on last night? But kudos to your team, okay? I heard they won. Congratulations. Or maybe it was Michigan. Either way, there is a time to grieve and a time to rejoice, all right? So anyway. So two men rise to the surface. We see a man named Joseph. He is called uh, Barsabbas and also this man named Matthias. They both meet the qualifications to be an apostle, one that has seen Jesus. 
And the disciples roll the dice, and they pick one of the two, and Matthias comes up. And Matthias is chosen. He's going to be the new 12th man. End of Acts chapter 1. Moving into chapter 2, 50 days after Passover, which is an Old Testament feast, we get to this day called Pentecost. Pentecost means 50th. Get it? 50 days after Passover, we get Pentecost. And Pentecost is a time where the apostles spoke in multiple languages to multiple people sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ that he came, that he rose, and that he, or that he died, and then he rose again, okay? And as we see in Pentecost, Peter gives a riveting sermon. If you get time this week, go back and look at it in chapter two. It's awesome. He explains how the prophecies of Joel and all the 300 prophecies in the Old Testament have come true about Jesus, this Messiah, it's fascinating. He gives such a great summary of the Old Testament in chapter 2. It is phenomenal. So phenomenal, actually, that so many people come to know Christ as Savior. It says over 3,000. And God's Holy Spirit is in turn poured out, just as he said he would do. Uh, some people are in awe. Other people think they're drunk <laughs> or intoxicated. And other people are just kind of scratching their heads. Well, some have submitted. And this, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, is what happens after Peter's sermon. Let's pray, uh, pray God's blessing on the text. Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Acts and what it teaches us, the way it illustrates um, so well what we need to do to embody or to become like Jesus and what it looks like for us to be his disciples. And this morning, as you speak to us through the text, I pray that you would speak in ways that I cannot. I pray that the text would be the focus of this morning and that people would only see you that we would have the opportunity to go away from here and ponder some of these things, make the necessary changes to become like you so the people who are far from you would come to know you and people who already know you would be uh, built up and they would mature and they would deepen in their relationship with you, that we would do exactly what the end of Matthew says, that we would go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, and that we would teach people what it means to be followers of Christ with our words and our ways. And they would proclaim this until you come uh, and call us home, till you come the same way as Acts chapter 1 says, in which you left. And we'd be caught up in the clouds with you. We can't wait for that day. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says this. Man, I'm having fun with this uh, series. I hope that you are too. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. I'm going to backtrack a second. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And then they devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, many wonders and signs. They were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together, and they had all these things in common. Verse 45. And they then sold all their possessions and belongings and distributed those proceeds to all any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. 47. Praising God. And having favor with all the people, the Lord, ready for this, added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. There's a market out there for church growth. It is amazing. There's 100,000 books that have been written about church growth, and all we have to do is look to Acts chapter 2, and we can see how to add to the number day by day. How do we grow the church? What does it look like for us to add to the church day by day? What is required of you, and what is required of me, and what is required of us? 
Go into verse 42. And they, I would circle they, right over top of it, 3,000 plus who had received Peter's word. That word means logos, which is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was the word, logos, in the beginning. Peter preaches the word, which is the gospel, 1 Thessalonians, Christ came, died, rose again, and then they made a symbolic action to that in which they had received called baptism. And so they devoted themselves, and I would underline devoted themselves, or steadfastly continued, persisted, persevered, were living in constant attention to these specific things. They were always on the forefront of their minds. It's kind of like when you get your check and you look down at your check and you realize that the government has garnished your wages, right? You're constantly aware when you get your check, whether it's on the screen or whether it's in your hand, that the government took money out of your account. Thanks, Uncle Sam, okay? If you are paying constant attention to that, you don't have to worry when tax season comes, right? Well, some of us do, but... Same is true for us in the faith. We pay constant attention to things and make sure that we're living properly so that when Jesus comes, it is not a leap into eternity. It is simply a step. And what are those things? Number one, they devoted themselves to, and this is in verse 41, the gospel. They identified themselves with the gospel. Receiving Peter's word, the gospel, and they were baptized. Paul would later say in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel that is in me. We have to get to a point as a church, individually and corporately, that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways in which we are not ashamed of the gospel is that we know it. Somebody uh, was at the fair just um, when it was in Bremen. I thought this was interesting. A lady came up to this uh, individual, one of the um, carnival attendants. You don't call them carnies. They don't like that. <clears throat> and um, walked up to him and said, you guys are everywhere. And they said, uh, and she said to this individual, she said, yeah, we are. Um, our shirts are all over the place. You know, people are walking in, in the town. And, the, and she says, what is your church all about? And she looked back at her and she says, we're all about the gospel. I thought that was interesting. And she says, okay, what is the gospel? Oh, here we go, right? Game time. And she says, well, that's easy. Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose again. If you confess that you're a sinner and believe in Christ as Savior, you will be saved, as the Bible says. He wants a relationship with you now, and he also wants a relationship with you for eternity. Would you like to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? Uh, do you have kids that are riding on this ride, or are you, Right? It's that simple to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We identify with it. It is the lens in which we look at the rest of the world. Let me ask you a question. Do you identify with the gospel, not just in one specific area of your life, but with all areas of your life? If they are going to, and they being the church, add to their number daily, we have to, as individuals and corporately, have our identity wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Know it by the back of our, like the back of our hand and live it out accordingly. If people want to come, they will join because they see your identity is not with yourself, but it is with Christ. They will see that your relationship with Jesus is not passive, but it is permanent. 
is that not the reason that you came to the faith? Is that not why you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And maybe you're sitting here going, I don't think I have ever done that. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. We exist to make Christ known near and far. And let me tell you something, church, people are hearing about it. They love it. They're watching you, they're paying attention to you, and they want to know what you know. And you know the apostles' teaching. So the first one is the gospel, and then it continues in the text. And it says that they paid attention not only or devoted themselves or persisted or persevered, not just in the gospel or the identification with the gospel, but also with the apostles' teaching. Now, interesting, there is an actual book out there. It is online. It is fascinating, called the Diadect, and it is the 12 disciples teaching, and it is the farthest thing from the truth that you could ever possibly find. It's amazing. I looked through it this week, and I thought to myself, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense, and I don't know who Thomas is, but uh, I'm pretty sure he was not present at that moment, right? So if that's not it, right, if I can't Google and find the apostles teaching, what on earth are they talking about? They're talking about doctrine, Now, doctrine is this fancy word that we use at church, which means it's a belief or a set of beliefs that are held and taught by our church. If you go out into the foyer and you look at our mailboxes, you will see our covenant or our constitution of the church. You pull out that constitution of the church, you open it up, and you will see our doctrine or what we believe as a church. We have beliefs. Now, what do those go back to? What does that encompass? Well, we didn't make these up, okay? Um, What we see here is they're the same things that the apostles taught. And what did they teach? Number one, they taught the way that Christ fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies about who he was, about what he was going to do, and how he was going to do it. That was taught in order to bring people to salvation through his death and resurrection. You may ask, why do I need to know the Old Testament? Because it's the history that shows us that we need a Messiah, that he is coming, that he is able, that he is welcoming you into a relationship with him. It is so important for us to know our history, and that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. We can see it. The Jews, they they obey God, and then they disobey God, and they obey God, and then they disobey God, and you will see yourself if you study the Old Testament in so many different places, I promise. Then, they also taught how salvation in Jesus was to be worked out in the life of the everyday believer. The word acts means praxis. Praxis is the embodiment of something. It is like a football player who goes into the locker room and he puts on his uh, pads and he puts on his jersey and he walks out, or she, didn't mean to um, negatively categorize anybody, but goes out into the field and they embody what it means to play the game because they have put on the proper attire. If they were to go out and not play that sport with any pads or any uniform, they would look silly, right? And so it is with us as believers. We are called to go out and to act a certain way, to encompass, to have this praxis, to be Christ-centered, not man-concentrated. And the doctrine from God in the Old Testament is validated by Jesus in the New Testament and solidified by the Holy Spirit through the lives of the believers. And so, as John says in John chapter 8, this is Jesus speaking, if you hold to these teachings... You are really my disciples. 
Maybe that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. I am eager to teach doctrine to you. I am eager to show you how Christ has been fulfilled of all these prophecies and how we can be like him. The process of sanctification, being set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is so important to us that we not only just hear this word, but we do this word. It's not just important that we read this word, but we let it consume our whole lives. Is that not important? Is this important to you? People will come day by day when they can learn and grow more about what they do not know. Is that not why you come every week? Maybe it needs to be. Maybe we need to understand and apply this teaching more so that people will be curious about the fact that it has consumed your life and that it consumed theirs. I identify with the gospel. And people are curious about that identification. You know Jesus Christ. I can see it. You've been with him. Like Moses on top of the mountain, he comes down to the people, and the people look at him, and they say, you have been with the living God. And he says, I have? He doesn't even know it. But they ask him questions. And we move into the teaching, of the apostles' teaching about Christ and his fulfillment of the Old Testament and how we are like him. We want to be a Bible-teaching church that we're constantly pointing back to this word and not our own opinions. The gospel, the apostles' teaching, look at the third one. <clears throat> This is the fellowship, it says, in Acts chapter 2, and I think this is interesting. The word there is konia, say konia, and that's fun to say, isn't it? I always think Greek words are kind of cool, but, you know, that's just me. I'm kind of a nerd that way. I also think the Old Testament's kind of cool, but whatever. Never liked school, but here I am studying for a living. <clears throat> the konia has no English equivalent. Did you know that? There's no English word that talks of the fellowship of the believers. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're not supposed to work. Did you know that? Like, if I were to go out to the world and they were to say, Jordan, what do you do on Sunday mornings? I was like, well, let me tell you about this. First of all, there's about 300 people that gather. They all have different personalities. Some of them don't even like each other. And we come and we sit in these pews and we sing and we give money. And these pews have been around for like 50 years and they stink, man. But we all come together and it's really good and then we praise the Lord and then I come up and I give them kind of like a pep talk, a message from the Bible, you know, and then I send them out. It's not even that. That's not what preaching is. But we give you the word and then you're like, okay, and then you go out and you live it out. And on paper, guess what? The church isn't supposed to work, is it? We're a bunch of broken, reckless, busted up. Man, we are a motley crew. Excuse my, uh, my, uh, my wording, but I don't know how else to say it. But it's a cause and effect. The fellowship is a cause and effect. Look at this. The cause, first of all, is sharing what we have, okay? Now, here's the thing. We always think that sharing what we have is, is in regards to, like, things that are tangible. So, like, I have bread and I give it over, right? This is a tangible thing. But we often forget that I have the ability to share what I have internally just as much as I have externally, correct? So, it is... Um, the gospel that I have identified with, the teaching that I have submitted to, and therefore I give that over to people. And I welcome them and give them the opportunity to participate in the church as well. I have the opportunity, you have the opportunity to give somebody the plan of salvation and allow them to participate in God's church. For us to not give somebody else the opportunity to participate in God's church is a sin because we are withholding the greatest gift from them. It starts internally with me giving over to people, then moves into externally. Now, here's the funny thing. I thought this was fascinating. Hope you do too. The church in the New Testament, ready for this? Guess who they gave to first? 
not the outside world. They gave to others that were in the church. That seems kind of selfish. But it wasn't. They looked around at the needs that were in the congregations that were gathering, and they made sure that their brothers and sisters weren't suffering. They took care of themselves first. Why? Because the community caught wind of it and watched them give to each other. And they said, if you'll give to each other, maybe you'll give to us. They desperately wanted what they were giving to each other because of the fellowship that they had and because of the teaching that they received, because of the identification that they had with the gospel. Sometimes people don't come to the church. Sometimes people don't come to a relationship with Christ because we're stingy with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we look at them and we're like, mm, I don't really like Tom. It's not going to happen. And here in the text, it says that there was awe or a phobia, if you will, or fear that came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So the outside world, ready for this? is watching and they're in awe of what is happening within the church. Not without, not on the outside of the walls of the church. Within the church. And there are wonders and signs that are being done through brothers and sisters who are fellowshipping there together. Interesting, I came across this. The Wharton School of Business evaluated the New York Times most emailed articles and found that the ones that invoked awe were the most shared. How many times do we go out to an unsaved world, sitting at the football game on Friday night, right? You're never going to guess what happened this past week. We had a lady who had cancer, and she was healed from cancer. It's amazing. Or what if we went out and we sat down next to one of the people, and we said, you're never going to guess what happened. We prayed and we have been praying for a lady for two years to be healed from cancer. And God says no. And she went to be with Jesus the other day. And he's still faithful and he's still good. And what if the people who are around you were filled with awe over what was happening in the life of the church? So if the cause is sharing what we have internally and externally, the effect is true intimacy with one another. What do people want the most? They want to be friends with people. They want to be close to somebody. How do we get close to somebody? We share internally and externally what we have. It is what unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Everything comes back to evangelism and edification. I love 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen, we proclaim also to you. Do you know what he's saying there? That which we, proclaim, that which we have, we proclaim also to you, to an outside world. We look at you and we say, hey, here's the deal, right? We proclaim this to you. So that you may have fellowship with us and also with God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. People want to join something that has purpose. Maybe they're not coming because we're not living with purpose. Maybe they're not coming because we're withholding from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Something to think about. All right, two more. <clears throat> so they had the gospel they identified with it. The, um, they also had um, the teaching, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship. And then look at the third one, the breaking of bread. Two meanings here, common meals. We do very well with this at Community Gospel. We love to eat. We like potlucks. I mean, we just do really good. Like if we're like, hey, if I were to stand up and be like, today we're going to have a potluck, everybody would be like, yeah, I'm in, you know. And I was raised in the church, so we always had like potluck roulette. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you didn't know whose, uh, like, um, crock pot was whose, and you're just like, man, I hope that's not Karen's. 
because if that's Karen's potluck, I'm getting sick today, right? <laughs> you laugh because it's true, or you've never been there before, and just let me tell you what, it, it happens. But you know what? You take Karen's uh, soup, and you put it on your plate, and you just pray that the living God would come and do a great work internally so that you don't get sick, because you love her, and she's nice. She's a sweet, she's a sweet old lady, okay? So it can mean a common meal, something that takes place between one or more or two people, okay? But it can also mean the Lord's Supper, communion, which is behind me, and we'll get to this a little bit later. But the New Living Translation, it said that the people had in common, um, remembering Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the new covenant, and the coming again. I think some people come into our church, and they sit in our pews, and they look at us, and the first Sunday comes, and we have communion together, and I think they're kind of curious about, what are we doing, you know? What are you, what are you doing with, with that? And it's funny, when we do communion, we always tell people, hey, if you're not a Christian, um, pause, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, there's a difference between those two. We want you um, to, to withhold from this. You're probably asking, what's the difference between a believer and a Christian? Believer is somebody, something that we claim. Christian is something that the community gives to you when you become like Christ. That's why they're different. But they, we tell them, we say, hey, listen, if you're not a believer, we, we ask that you just kind of don't do this. Because in Romans, it says that you drink God's wrath upon yourself. But we always offer that you can come to the table and you can participate in this if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. So if you're far from God, you can come to know God by confessing with your mouth and believing with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is a gift through faith, as Ephesians tells us. And so if you want to do that today, then, then you have every opportunity to remember the new covenant, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his coming again. This, that we're going to do this morning, is a symbol of our fellowship with God through Jesus. And I love when Tiberius was here just a little bit ago. He really unpacked what it means for us to be able to sit at the table regardless of all of our sin and shortcoming, right? That God would even welcome us to come and sit at his table and to remember who he is and all that he has done. I think some people look at that and they go, I want the communion that you have with the living God. They're attracted to it. They want that in their lives. They want to join something that's not just fun, but it's also communal. It's a time of reflection and need. Hmm. Interesting. How do we add to our numbers day by day? I have to encompass the gospel, identify with it, fellowship, teaching of the apostles. I get that. The doctrine, Old Testament prophecies, New Testament teachings about accompanying Christ, breaking of bread. And then this is one I'm really concerned about for our church. It closes here in the text and it says prayer. Can I just um, confess something to you publicly today? Prayer is boring to me. That feels really good to get out. I got, I, it, just, it just is boring to me. We, every uh, Sunday at the first, uh, at 9 o'clock hour, we gather in the conference room to pray. And it's boring. It really is. And you're probably looking at, Pastor Jordan, it's boring. It's boring. But sometimes what is boring is necessary, right? Sometimes what is mundane is needed. There needs to be established consistency. And just because I don't feel like doing something doesn't mean I shouldn't participate in it. And sometimes I just got to fake it till I make it. God, I'm having a blast. This is so much fun. You and me and this guy next to me who's praying. I'm not talking to you, Matt Moyer, because you were next to me this morning. Like, we're just doing this thing. 
But once I can change my mentality and my mindset to understand that God has given us a weapon for our lives that is greater than any weapon the world has to offer, that he has empowered us with a tool that we can talk to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, my perception starts to change, and that which is boring becomes that which is magnificent. And once I start listening to people who are praying next to me and I start really understanding what they're saying and I start agreeing with what they're talking about and I start asking God to do the same things that they're saying, now we're moving in a movement that is huge. And here, uh, the church is committing themselves to a top priority, which is prayer. A church that doesn't pray won't make it. They voluntarily come into that which is mundane because they know that it impacts the church. Prayer is the binding of the strong man's house. It is the service that is the spoils. Our battle is not an earthly battle. It is one that can only be fought with prayer. And I asked God this morning as we were sitting in this boring circle to forgive my attitude as I walked into that table. Because he gave a great weapon to us. It's the thing that causes us to stay married. It's the thing that causes us to uh, ask God for our kids who are struggling. It's the thing in which we seek uh, when grandma and grandpa are on their last leg. It's the one thing that we look at when people with cancer or people who are sick die. It's the only thing that we know to go to when this world has nothing more to offer. I find myself in prayer when I have nothing else to say. And here the apostles make prayer their number one priority. It is the cry out to the living God to pull down the strongholds of the enemy. I don't use Becky a lot in sermon illustrations, but it was funny. This morning we pray, and uh, Becky said, I might just groan this morning. And I thought, man, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? If she was just like, hey, let's pray. And all of a sudden she was just like, oh, that'd be amazing. Like, all of us would be like, what is happening to worship leaders today? I think she had, like, uh, something happened to her. She just started groaning for, like, 15 minutes. She went on and on and groaned. And then it was weird. The pastor kicked in, too. And then, oh, my goodness, his wife was on board. And then it sounded like cows just had filled the congregation. And we're all just groaning together. It's like that sometimes, isn't it, though? Sometimes I don't know what in the world to tell my Jesus. I just groan to him. I'm like, God, I just feel like I got punched in the stomach. And I just, I have nothing to say. But I think you know what's going on in my heart. And he does. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and let your requests be made known to God. Colossians chapter 4 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. That word steadfastly is the same word that is used here when it says they devoted themselves. Isn't that interesting? I wonder if people would come to the church if we prayed for them outside the church walls. I just wonder. I wonder if we put our hand on somebody and prayed for them, if they would look at us as somebody who knew Jesus. I wonder. You know, um, not till about three years ago, I could only name five people in my life who had placed their hand upon my shoulder and prayed for me. Five people who had stopped and said, hey, Jordan, can I pray for you? Isn't that interesting, fascinating? Just a couple years ago, I could only come up with a couple of names. Maybe you're in that boat, right? And maybe sometimes we, we get in this situation to where we're like, well, yeah, more people should do that for me. Uh, maybe you should do that for more people. 
I don't do it a whole lot. But maybe people want to participate in something that has a weapon that can do more damage than the weapons of this world. Hmm. Interesting. Then it says, Acts chapter 2, verse 47, I love it. And day by day, attending the temple together, they went to church. <laughs> I think that's cool. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They weren't happy. Happy is, is an earthly term. Happy is fleeting, man. They were filled with joy. They were excited. You ever met somebody different from being happy and joyful? Like somebody who's happy, they're like, hey, good for you. Joyful, man, is a whole different story. If you've never met my friend Mike Stemble, he used to go to church here, there in Indy. He just got tired of me. He's like, Jordan, we got to go, man. We're going to move. Um, <laughs> Mike Stemble is full of joy. Man, when he walks into a room, I'm just like, I need to hug that guy, right? I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me. You know who I'm talking about when I say somebody who's filled with joy. That one person that you want to be around so badly. It's It's amazing. <clears throat> that they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They praised God, had joy, and having favor with all the people. And that's talking about the church. Here's the hardship. <clears throat> it's not so odd to be devoted to something in our society, is it? It's not that hard. Man, I was driving through town, and I'm not ripping on you Notre Dame fans, okay? So don't think that at all, because I don't want to be crucified in the parking lot after the end of the service. I was driving, Bethany and I were just dumbfounded, right? Now, she kind of puts things in perspective because we were driving down the road and all these people have their Notre Dame jerseys on. She's like, Jordan, you have a Blackhawks flag that's waving in the front of our house. And I'm like, I do, next to the American flag. Anyway, um, it's, not so, it's not so odd for us to be devoted for things. Like sports, for example, we're, we're devoted to those. Uh, some of us were really devoted to music. When that new artist is in town, man, we'll do everything we can to be in that front row, Right? Somebody told me an artist was coming into town the other day, and I was like, man, sign me up. I'll go, right? We get really devoted to bands or music. Or maybe uh, it's interesting around here. Some people are really loyal to tractor companies. Uh, I'm talking to you. <laughs> I never knew that was possible until I became a pastor in Indiana. Some people just love, like, John Deere tractors. They're like, yeah, man. And then we had Oktoberfest a little bit ago, and there's, like, all these antique tractors. And I just was asking questions. I'm like... Why do you love this so much? And I'm talking to a guy in overalls and suspenders. I mean, he's all green. I thought he was going to paint his face green, and I'm just confused, <laughs> right? But, but hey, cool, right? I mean, you're, you're in. He's devoted to that. Some people are devoted to the Magic Kingdom or movies. I know I'm, ta I'm not talking about any of you here this morning <laughs> or me for that example. But here's the crazy thing, okay? We pledge our allegiance to these things, don't we? We hold fast to their teachings. Like, we identify with them. We're quick to put uh, their name across uh, our shirt. I was walking around uh, the Blueberry Fest the other day with a Grace College t-shirt on. It's my favorite shirt. And I just thought about, like, I'm identifying with something, right? We either tell other people about it how much we love it and we care for it. We build up what already is. We discuss it over meals. It's crazy to me. And many times, here's the hard part. We even pray for the continuation of it, don't we? God, if Notre Dame football could just last for eternity, that would be so great. And some of you are like, wait, it doesn't? <laughs> I didn't mean to wreck your bubble. But we, we pray for the continuation of these things. And let me tell you something, okay? Because I'm not, I'm not dogging you. 
This is a good thing. Like, God tells us to enjoy life. Sometimes we just need to enjoy life. Some of us are so tight that you need to root for the Blackhawks this year. It's just the way it goes, right, Grant? Yeah, this is where, it, where it's at, all right? Some of you are looking at me like, Jordan, we've been praying that prayer for you for Notre Dame for years. And sometimes we just need to enjoy life and, and have fun. But when that thing in which we're devoted to becomes an idol, it becomes folly and it becomes foolish because it has overtaken our love for Jesus Christ. And we watch people who have stopped coming in day by day and have started to submit to the world instead of the word. And that's when we really got to do some evaluation. Is our identity wrapped up in this gospel? Or is it in something worldly? Do we lose our purpose for existence? That which is material can never replace that which is eternal. Perhaps that is why some people don't come to accept the gospel and the bride of Christ, because it means so little to us, the followers of Jesus. Ouch. How are we doing? Huh. Can we do better at some of these things? I, I think so. I hope so. What are we devoted to? What are you devoted to? Man, I had to do this all week. I was just walking through this. I'm like, what am I devoted to? What do I love? Wow. What do I love more than Jesus? You know, um, it was funny. This lady, she came up to me in a coffee shop. I'll close with this. She says to me, Jordan. She said, Pastor Jordan. And I know I'm in trouble when anybody calls me pastor. And I'm like, yeah. So I changed my demeanor. Yes, what can I do for you? And she says, hey, we, we love Community Gospel Church. We don't go there, but we love it. And I started laughing. I was like, huh? Like, is that possible? You want a t-shirt? I don't understand. And she looks at me, and she says, she says, what is it about your church? Could you just write down some things about your church so that we can take it to our church, and, and then we'll just, we'll just uh, copy what you're doing, and we'll put it in our church, and then we'll grow too. And I was like, that sounds, I don't know what to say. Like, I, I was so dumbfounded that she was asking me, she's like, what are your secrets? And I'm like, I, 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 don't, I don't know. And the funny thing was, I didn't know what to tell her. I literally sat there and I was like, that would take like a long time to unpack like why we do what we do and how we do it. And then uh, I was studying this week and I realized it's right there in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. <sighs> I wanted to tell her what I would have done not what God does. I hope I see her again. Because then I can be like, hey, I, I think I know what, what we're doing right. I, I, I think some things in here that we could work on. That's good. Let's take the Lord's um, table and, and pray about it. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, your word and your truth and what it means. And uh, it's, this is, uh, it's fun and it's exciting, but it's also really difficult because I got to look at myself in all of these things. Man, I just, we have to look at all these things. We have to really evaluate where we're at. Before we go any further, where are you at with Jesus? Is he the Lord of your life? have a relationship with him? Have you confessed that you're a sinner and you need a Messiah? That you need King Jesus in your life? All the stories are true. Every one of them. 
I know they're true because I am a walking testimony of God's truth. And so are many people who are gathered here. If you find yourself and, and you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's so simple. You just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Will you come into my life? I believe in you. I love the old song that says, Lord, I believe in you. I'll always believe in you. Though I can't see you with my eyes. So true. He is close. You just got to accept it. Welcome him in. Say, I want a relationship with you through faith. I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. If you made that decision, I want you to contemplate baptism, whether you're young or old. Your testimony of when you came to know Christ can be a catalyst for somebody else. It says right there in the text that they believed Peter's word, the gospel, and they were baptized. Baptism is a public identification with the risen Christ, a symbolic representation of what it means that the old is gone and the new has come. He is with us and he is for us. And you need to really think and pray about that. I got baptized as a youth pastor. I made a decision to follow Christ freshman year of college. Put it off until we were in our first ministry and realized the error of my ways. I needed to take the step of baptism. Show people that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is in me. And maybe that's where you're at today. You just need to ask Jesus for boldness. To not be ashamed of the gospel of who he is and what he did and what he will do. And moving through the text, God, we need you to um, reignite our passion for scripture. Reignite our passion for fellowship, this konia, where we come together, where we share what we have internally and that which we have externally. Even this morning as we break bread together. We remember your, your covenant with us and that you're coming again. We also ask that you would help us to be committed to prayer, to speaking to you. We wouldn't see it as boring. God, forgive me for that attitude. How, how sad that is to not want to desire to approach your throne. Give me a passion for that, God. And Lord, as we come to the table to communion this morning, we ask that we would remember your death and your resurrection and your coming again. We love you, uh, King Jesus. We really do. We grow our church in a proper way. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.